Oh, he loves the fire that was a goal. This is the Halftime Show with Omar Alduri on Pulse95. Nice strike. Oh, better than nice. It sure is that time. It's the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I am your host covering everything sport, international and local. On the show today, I'm proper excited to have James Ellington on the Halftime Show. He won gold in Zurich 2014, Amsterdam 2016, and then I had a career-threatening bike accident, which had doctors saying he'll never run again. Now from rock bottom to racing Usain Bolt on top of the world, we talk about his journey, his goals, and how he remains humble and focused on competing in 2020 on the only place to be at 3, the halftime show on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Halftime Show Podcast. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse95. Nice strike! Welcome to the Halftime Show with Omar Alduri. I'm your host covering everything sport, international and local. It is with great pleasure, and I say great pleasure, I introduce today James Ellington, an Olympic sprinter, but a lot more than that in the world of athletics. He's on the show today. James, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. James, now, firstly, the accent sounds familiar, right? We're going to break it down. Where are you from exactly? How has it all started? And how long have you been out here in the UAE? So I'm born and raised in South East London. Um, I've been out in the UAE for now 13 weeks and it's going, it's going really well. I'm kind of still halfway between here and the UK at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to set, settle in and it's, it's, it's working out really nice. Nice. And, and, and James, let's, let's, let's take it way back now, yeah? When it comes to athletics, where did all this start? Where did the inspiration start from getting into the world of sport? And how has the journey been from you from early days on? I mean, it all started for me when I was a child. My mum was a uh, massive athletics fan. And um, I remember seeing my first race when I was, I think, three years old. And I remember it was, it was the 88 Olympics in Seoul. And from a very early young age, I know people, sometimes I say this, people don't believe me, but for some reason I was just drawn to it and I always wanted to do that. So I grew up going through school, nursery, primary school, and um, sports day was a highlight of my year. And um, yeah, it, it just kind of stemmed from there. And when I was a, a early teenager, I started competing and winning national titles, and that gave me the first for for more. And we talk, let's, we're going to go into teenager now. Now, in the UK, when you're a teenager, a lot's going on. You got your friends, you got your social life. How has it been in the world of staying focused on what you want to do, but also enjoying your social life as well as a teenager? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's played a massive role in what I was getting involved in as a teenager. Um, when I was 12 years old, I got into a little bit of trouble and I was grounded for six months. And that's kind of where I had to take athletics a bit more serious. So because I was enjoying my athletics and I always took part in it, it kind of it kept me on that straight and narrow. So when my friends were going out partying on the weekend and staying out really late, I always had a competition on the weekend. So I was aware that I had to be in, indoors sleeping because I had a competition and it it probably saved me from getting involved in a lot of things that potentially I could have been involved in. And amongst those distractions, I mean, we've spoken off camera as well. Amongst, amongst those distractions is obviously um, trying to stay focused on the objective. You had an objective. Your friends obviously were supportive, but also could be distracting as well. Um, what kind of mindset at that early age 
does it take to kind of stay focused for a younger James Ellington now who's listening on, on the show? Well, for a younger James, James Ellington, it was, it was a massive task for me because as a kid as well, especially when you haven't kind of tasted the, the, the rewards and the benefits of being a successful athlete, it's, um, you're very easily influenced at that age. So for me, it was, a, it was a tough task, but I always kind of had the mind of, I, I know what I want to be, and I know that I'm not going to get there if I kind of mess around and fall into what the crowds of others are doing. And um, I mean, my friends were really, really good. They understood that I was an athlete. So they would always be like, all right, now you got to go home now because you're the athlete. And did so I was kind of representing for them. So they, they, they boosted me and held me up as well, which was a good thing. They weren't ever trying to pressure me into doing something that I shouldn't be doing. I see, that's, that's amazing. So that's a proper support system. It also sounds, by the way, you're speaking, that your mother had a big role to play in this um, and she always kind of kept you in check if sometimes we tend to fall off, off track. Um, just how important was that for you at that stage? Yes, my mother's um, influence was massively important, the most important. I think it was, if it wasn't down to my mum, then I probably wouldn't be doing athletics. Um, she used to take me up and down the country every weekend for big competitions and without that kind of support there. I had other friends that were into athletics, but they just didn't have the support from their parents. So I was lucky in that sense that I had a mother that really kind of looked out for me and, and, and pushed with kind of my dreams and ambitions. So the coaching started pretty early from, from back home. Uh, that's, that's pretty interesting. Coming up next, we talked to James about the different style of coaching, what it led to, and how it took him to the highest of high in the athletic world on the Halftime Show on the one place to be at three, the Halftime Show with me on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse95. Nice strike! Welcome back to the Halftime Show with Omar Duri. I am your host covering everything sport, international, local. Boy, do I have a show for you today. I've got James Ellington in the building. And trust me, his story is truly inspirational, not just for the world of athletics, but also sport and society. James, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me. Right. <laughs> so, James, um, we spoke about briefly about family, about support, about your friends. Uh, the coaching started pretty early. You had, let's say in different coaches at different stages in your career and still going. Um, talk to him about how important the right style of coaching was for you at a time where athletics obviously is big, but you need to really be more on it than anything to be able to sustain that kind of focus and concentration. Right, so as a, as a youth, I mean, through my teenage years into my early 20s, I was only coaching, I mean, I was doing the bare, bare minimum, if I'm honest, I was coaching two, training two to three days a week, um, which wasn't ideal. I could have maybe gotten a scene a little bit earlier, but actually in the long run, when I look at it, it kept my body fresh. So I didn't burn out. I only started training full time when I was 26 years old. So I made my first Olympic team off of three days a week training. Um, and that was when I found out, right, there's levels to this. And after I ran really poorly at the London 2012 Olympics, I had to kind of make some decisions. Then I went to a professional full-time coach. And that's when, for me, a lot of the success started happening. I started winning European uh, medals, gold medals and national titles and running really fast. And actually, that's when my professional career really started to bloom. Um, Training-wise, I mean, 
it's different horses for different different courses for different horses. It's it's what suits to you. Every athlete's completely different. So a go, good coach will always kind of work out what an, an individual's strengths and weaknesses are and they'll work around those and adapt accordingly. It's funny you say that so casually, won European championships, won all these kind of championships. This is this is a testament to how humble and grounded this brother is. And not only that, you tried different coaches, you had your first coach, and you also went to Loughborough University, is that right? And you had a, an interesting encounter with someone who had a massive influence on your tra uh, trail or journey to the top. Correct, correct. So after the Olympics, I moved to uh, Loughborough, which is kind of like in the middle of England and they've got a great sports facility up there and um, I ran into a guy called Rainer Ryder who's at the time employed by British Athletics and he was probably one of of a handful of great sprints coaches from around the world um, that really had the eye and knew how to coach speed and that's when I learned a lot of my craft um, and absorbed a lot of the information that she still apply it today myself um, and like I said I kind of I was there for maybe two, three years. Um, and then Rainer Ryder, he, was, he went on to different pastures. I moved back down to London um, to train with uh, British legend, <laughs> Limford Christie. And um, Limford's a good friend of mine. I don't think he'll mind me saying this. He's quite, he's quite old school with his training. So we did, <laughs> we did clash heads quite a bit. But I think with his old school hard work ethic and my kind of knowledge of um, technical kind of inputs into different training methods and all the rest of it, it gelled and it, it worked out nicely. And that was kind of when I went on to running even faster. That's amazing. So coming up next, we talked to uh, James about ra racing at the top, a life-threatening accident, and also a certain uh, rival and friend in Usain Bolt. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show podcast. Oh, he loves the fire and what a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Umar Adouri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! Wonderful! Welcome back to the Halftime Show. Boy, we're almost at the end of the segment and already I tell you now, I can't tell you how much I'm so honoured to have this guest on board. Not only is he from my part of town in the UK but he's also someone that's very grounded very humble and if you notice in this interview talks very casually about certain things that we only dream of experience in the world of athletics James um, one of the things I, I want to touch on is when I was looking at your resume you've won several uh, titles several races different categories and you're very humble about it but I want to know more about how difficult it was to pick yourself up and maintain motivated throughout this journey because also when, once you be, win, win one race there's the next and the next and the next and you've achieved so much in in that period of time what was it like um trying to motivate yourself throughout the different things you faced coaching you faced politics in sport you faced so many things what was that like yeah i mean it was really it's, it's been really tough i think if you ask most athletes they'll they'll say to you that most of their career there's there's way more lows than there is highs there's way more downs than there is ups um but i think those downs and those lows are what make the highs so special because athletics is such a tough sport um i think we have to be crazy to get up every day put yourself through so much pain throw up be sick and then go and do it again with no guarantees of success so first of all you have to be a bit tapped <laughs> secondly um 
yeah because you go through so you, when you race every other weekend and especially at that level you're racing the fastest guys in the world with the likes of Usain Bolt and American athletes and Jamaicans and all the rest of it you're not going to be winning all your races so when you do get a, a high level win it's that much more sweet because it's so tough in the sport yeah, and, and when I was speaking to you off air as well you were saying I ran a crap race at you know 10 <laughs> and I'm thinking wow for those that don't know he's talking 10 seconds <laughs> so tell me about that and uh, also you mentioned Usain Bolt what was that like racing against him yeah I mean I mean going back to the racing I've there's been plenty of races where I've ran like 10.1 seconds and have come fifth which is ridiculous <laughs> because you're in a race with people that are running 9.8 seconds um, and yeah with the 200 meters, 20, I remember running 20.5 seconds in Monaco and I came last and I was like, what is this? This is ridiculous. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, that's what happens at the highest, highest level. And with the likes of Usain Bolt, who, I mean, I've raced against him numerous times um, and he's a great competitor and he obviously he's the fastest human being of all time. Yeah. And he just happened to be in my era, which was a bit unlucky for me. Um, <laughs> It's, it's an honour and it's a, and a frustration at the same time. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's been crazy, it's been crazy. Well, see, just to, just to hear that, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps thinking of you lining up next to Usain Bolt. You're, you've got your focus, he's got your focus. Like you said, the fastest man on the planet. Um, now, with all the success that you've had, obviously there's come a lot with it in your journey. And like you said, reaching those levels was, was amazing. In January 2017, something happened in terms of uh, reshaping, let's say, the career because the career is still going on. We're still going strong. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about the uh, motorbike accident in Tenerife that you had at that time. So yeah, so coming off um, quite a successful season in 2016, um, coming back with a European gold medal, um, going to Rio Olympics for the 100 meters, running sub 10 seconds. It was probably the most successful season of my career to date and I was in great shape. I literally changed the event that year. So there was high hopes for me going into 2017 because we had a uh, home world championships in London. So I was on a training camp in January um, 2017 in Tenerife, which was kind of like a, some athletes use it as a pre-indoor camp, but I, I never do indoor, so I just use it to get some quality, quality training in the sun. Um, and everything was going so well. I was, <laughs> I was probably in the shape of my life and that's not me just saying that. I was training with guys that were 60 meter specialists and I was getting getting out of the blocks with them to 30 meters, which is for me, my start wasn't my strong strong point in my race. So I was very excited. I was looking forward to the season. Um, we had a great training session one day and we had a day off the next day. And one of my training partners at the time decided to hire a motorcycle to go and visit the volcano. So we was like, oh, let's, let's do the whole tourist bit. So he asked me if I wanted to jump on the back I said, mm, yeah, why not? I thought, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> so I jumped on the back, we went up, we visited the volcano and on the way back down, sadly, we, well, the only thing I remember is seeing headlights and we had a head-on collision with a, uh, with a car. Wow, I mean, that is, now you've had this collision, uh, you're, you're, knowing your character, you're, you're the one who's the sensible one in the group, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, once this happened, you've got away with obviously a lot of shortcuts and turns throughout your career um, what kind of advice would you give to again I always I always try and help out the youth and you know the aspiring athletes. what kind of advice would you give to that when it comes to just preparation even though you're at the top of your you know your career you know what kind of advice would you give for preparation and just being aware of that kind of stuff I'll just say yeah I mean 
don't take things for granted. Um, I've, I've, I've always, especially over the last 10 years, been very careful about what I do. Even if it's running down a flight of stairs, you're always kind of conscious as an athlete that you don't want to injure yourself. And again, this was like a one in a million kind of thing, freakish accident to happen. But I'll say you can never really prepare for the unexpected because life's a journey of unexpected things. But what I would say is live in the moment, in, not live in, enjoy the moment. Take it all. Don't take anything for granted, um, and just make sensible decisions. You know, if you're if you're an athlete uh, or anybody for that, that that instance, and you, something crosses your mind that actually, you know what, this is this aren't, this isn't going to go too right. Don't risk it. Go with your instincts. I've always been a someone that goes with my instincts, and even before I got on that motorcycle, something in the back of my mind said, "Should I get on the back of a bike?" And I didn't go with my feelings. Do you know what I'm saying? So, luckily enough, I'm here today. Um, and I can tell the story, but it's been a it's been a crazy two years. And going forward and looking next, I'm super excited for what's coming up for you. 2020 is going to be big. I'm a big fan already. I, you know that. Um, what can we expect from you in 2020? And what are the aspirations to try and reach peak level again? Well, I mean, it's the unexpected at the moment. My my goals for 2020 is to make it back onto the team. Um, the doctors didn't think I was really going to walk again properly and I kind of defied the odds and I've always been quite hard-headed and stubborn with everything I've, I've done through my, my life and career. Um, and it, I know it's a very, very big, tough challenge um, because I'm still in quite considerable amounts of pain. Um, so I have to kind of really plan what sort of training I'm, I'm doing. but. If I can get rid of this pain and sort it out over the next couple of months, there's no doubt in my mind that I won't be on that track because I know what it takes to run fast. I've been there before, I've been to two Olympics and I think kind of being able to get through the last two years, being at such a low, that was the hardest point. So now, for me, this is this is easier than where I was. And we at the Halftime Show here are fully behind you. There's one thing I'm excited about 2020 as an athlete, but I can also see signs of another coach evolving into something bigger to be able to coach maybe the national team, several national teams in the Olympics. Um, where can we follow you? Where can we keep track of your work? And what have you got coming up that we can kind of uh, stay in touch with? Well, on social media, you'll find me at Jimmy Ells, J-I-M-M-Y-E-L-L-S. Um, and currently, yeah, I'm, I've kind of blended my career into... It's funny because when I was growing up, I never wanted to be a coach. But sometimes these things just find you. And, and as I've coached myself for the last couple of years and had pretty good success at it before the accident. Um, it's something that I can't help. I always want to share knowledge and see other people improve. So I'm doing a lot of stuff with kind of speed training for team sports, um, my company called Sprint Fit, and also kind of just helping people, whether it's not personal training and getting fit, but real kind of Olympic inspired training. That's what I'm looking to do, so. Amazing, and have you got a website for the, for the company you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, you can get get in contact with me at um, james at sprintfit.co.uk um, or you can even just reach out to my personal email address, which is on my social media handles as well. Amazing. James, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. We'll be definitely tracking uh, your progress. We look forward to 2020 for you. And guys, we have sport you here today with James Ellington on the Halftime Show. Remember, we're on every Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, 3 to 4. And if you do miss our shows, you can always catch us on Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud. Just type in the Halftime Show with Omar Dury, and we are there. We talk about mental health, gut health, and how to elevate fitness and conditioning performances in sport. Guys, that's me. It's a wrap. Thank you very much for tuning in. Stay tuned for more on Pulse 95.
This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Halftime Show Podcast. Oh, he loves to fire that. What a goal! This is the Halftime Show with Omar Alduri on Pulse 95. Nice strike! Oh, better than nice! You know when you meet that someone and you vibe with them? You know, I enjoyed this interview because listening to James Ellington, you know, I believed him. You know, I believed what he was saying, what he was about, and and I want him to do well. And shout out to Jess for making it happen. Guys, you need to watch out for this guy. 2020 is going to be big for this guy. And inshallah, inshallah, he's very successful. And that's full time on the Halftime Show. And remember, you can catch us on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, 3 to 4. And listen to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. That's a wrap for me, folks. Stay blessed and have an amazing day on the only place to be at 3, the Halftime Show on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday from 3 p.m.